This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're continuing the story of Lancelot. You'll see why it's somehow not super creepy if your significant other picks your hair out of your comb and constantly smells it. Also, surprise, surprise, swords make terrible bridges. On the Creature of the Week, it's a super beautiful woman who will kill you with her morning breath. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 41B, Promises to Keep. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week, we're continuing the story of Lancelot. So if you haven't heard last week's episode, please listen to it first before starting this one. Previously on the podcast, Lancelot was basically kidnapped but nicely, by the Lady of the Lake, whose name was Vivian, and he was raised in Vivian's magical underwater village until he was 18 and ready to leave for King Arthur's court to become a knight. After parting with Lancelot and Camelot, Vivian ran into Merlin, the whole reason she left Britain in the first place. When she was 12, he tried to pick her up with some magic tricks. He taught her almost all the magic he knew before she left. They met now almost 20 years later and agreed to give it another shot. If he wanted to be with her, he only needs to meet her outside the Broseliad Forest in one year. Before we begin, I just want to give a quick note on today's story. This is the first written story of Lancelot by Christian de Troyes in the 12th century. He was the same author that brought us the version of the Yvain story that I told. The issue, well, we aren't given any background as to where we are in Lancelot's story. Christian de Troyes hints at earlier versions, but we don't have them. The French Vulgate has the Lady of the Lake arrive at Arthur's court. A lot of things happen, and frankly, it's a bit of a shaggy dog story. Today's story happens eventually in the French Vulgate, but not right after Lancelot arrives at court. In Mallory's Death of Arthur, today's story is a truncated version that happens much, much later. Basically, there doesn't appear to be any right answer as to when this story takes place. I want to tell it first, since it is the original Lancelot story, and pretty famous. So that's what I'm going to do. For those of you that know the Arthurian legends, I'll totally tell the stories of the Dolorous Guard, King Galahot, Lord of the Distant Isles, and Guinevere's evil twin in time. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the legends, know that this is the original Lancelot story, but there's no canon when it comes to the Arthurian legends, with every retelling being a bit different, and that the placement of this story is justifiable if a bit unorthodox. For those of you that I didn't lose with that digression, on with the show. Lancelot had only ever seen her at a distance, but now that he had seen her close up and touched her hand, his life had been changed forever. She was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, and ever since their eyes met each other in the court of King Arthur, he fell madly, hopelessly in love with her. His heart was hers from now until the day he died. Unfortunately, the court of King Arthur was the court of her husband, Lancelot had fallen in love with Queen Guinevere. It was then that he realized he was staring at her. Awkwardly. And she definitely noticed. She looked into the eyes of the young man that had just been knighted. He had been admitted to King Arthur's household two days ago, and he was knighted today. It was an unprecedented turn of events, but Arthur would only say that powers greater than his own had demanded it. This young man was strong and handsome, and Guinevere had come to say hello to him, 
She took his hand, and he froze. He looked at it, then into her eyes, and then he didn't stop staring. The queen greeted him, but he didn't respond. He, he didn't stop staring, but he didn't respond. He held her hand, but not cordially like they were meeting for the first time, but softly, lovingly. When she realized she started and drew back her hand, Lancelot snapped back to reality, but he still couldn't speak, not to her. He was flustered. Sweat began to bead on his forehead. She stood and excused herself. She went to Yvain, the boy's very short-lived mentor, since he was already a knight. She told him that this boy was obviously of low birth and rude. Didn't he know to speak when a queen requested it of him? Yvain shrugged. The new knight obviously wasn't of low birth. I mean, look how handsome he was. But Yvain would try to figure out who he was. Up until now, the new guy hadn't even told anyone his name. Guinevere looked at the new knight and narrowed her eyes, making a point to say how much she disliked this impudent boy. She then left and went to her room alone. She sat there and tried to forget the way she felt when the young man looked at her so lovingly, as though she were the only woman in the world. There was a knight in King Arthur's court, pleading on behalf of a baroness under King Arthur. There was an army attacking her land, and King Arthur pledged to help her and send some of his knights. When Lancelot heard of it, he leapt at the chance. It gave him a chance to follow Vivian's advice, to get out of the castle in less than a day. Arthur was reluctant, but he agreed to it if his foster brother Kay went with the new knight. They gathered their things to go, but Lancelot knew that there was something he needed to do before he left. It hadn't ended well, to say the least, between him and the queen the last time they talked. He found her and knelt before her. A few of Guinevere's ladies-in-waiting commented on how handsome the knight was before she silenced them. Lancelot could speak to her now, and he wanted to apologize. He had been rude and brash the other day. She smiled and told Lancelot that he was so young. He could only be forgiven for such a misdeed. She grabbed his hand and pulled him to his feet. Thank you, my lady, Lancelot said, still not quite looking at her. Then he added that he would like to be considered as her knight, if it was agreeable to her. Of course it would be agreeable, she said. Now, with your leave, my lady, Lancelot said, I will go. You have my leave, knight, she said. Goodbye, my friend. With that, Lancelot left with Kay on his first adventure for King Arthur. Nearly a year later, King Arthur was tipsy. In the nearly 20 years since he had taken the throne as a teenager, he had driven back the Saxons, beaten the totally real and historically accurate Western Roman Emperor, and he was happily married. Now he was pushing 36, and he figured he deserved a rest. He downed another goblet of wine and sat back, his head swimming in blissful stupor. Quickly, Arthur gets a lot of different treatments from a lot of different authors. For a lot of the British authors, he's the pinnacle of honor, virtue, and strength. For the French writers, there's much more nuance to the legendary king. He's a powerful and skilled ruler, but he also falls asleep at feasts, as we saw in the Yvain story, drinks a bit too much, and kind of wants to stay back while his knights do the dirty work and gain renown for him. Arthur was annoyed to have to sit up straight when he heard a commotion at the door. A fully armored knight pushed through to the feast and began spitting curses at Arthur and his knights that they weren't strong enough, that people would die. That got Arthur's attention. 
He asked the belligerent knight what he meant, with the knights of the round table already pushing the man back and out the door, and others going to get their spears, should things turn ugly. The knight yelled that he had Arthur's people. It didn't matter how many, because there was nothing Arthur could do about it. He was the king, but he didn't have the wealth or the power or the will to get his people back, and they would die in captivity before he would ever be able to secure their release. The man just came to spit in Arthur's face, proverbially, and leave. It's not said why Arthur let the man go. We do know that he sadly accepted this threat. In front of assembled barons, knights, and maidens. Maybe he didn't believe this obviously very angry knight had a whole lot of his people captive somewhere. Or maybe he was just sleepy from all the wine, but he let the knight go. But the man wasn't done. As he stood at the bottom of the stairs, facing the door, he said, through his helmet without looking back, that if Arthur or a knight, brought Arthur's wife, Queen Guinevere, to the forest, then the knight would personally release everyone. That is, if the knight with Guinevere could keep the queen from being taken. With that, the threatening knight left. The hall was silent afterward, until Arthur announced that, no, we're not doing that, no one is taking my wife into the woods, to a strange knight who may or may not have kidnapped a lot of my people. Then, on a completely unrelated note, Arthur's surely very smart and prudent foster brother, Kay, approached him. He told Arthur that he really loved serving under him for all these years. But right now, he had to tender his resignation. Arthur said that this seemed surprising. Are you sure this isn't related to the knight that just came in and threatened us? It seems pretty related to the knight that just came in and threatened us. Kay said no, he was leaving. And there was nothing his foster brother could do to stop him. When he left Arthur's presence... Arthur turned to his wife, Guinevere, and asked her to see what she could do to stop him. Guinevere went to her half-brother-in-law and asked him what she could do to stop him from quitting forever. He said all he needed was just for Arthur to grant him one request, but he can't know what it is. Guinevere maybe advised her husband not to do this, because if you've read fiction, folklore, the Bible, everywhere, it's almost always a bad idea for kings to agree to give someone something before knowing what that something is. Arthur did, though. He wouldn't suffer shame and lose his most trusted knight on the same day. I can imagine the hefty eye roll from everyone when Kay laughed and yelled that he tricked the king. His request was that he be allowed to take Queen Guinevere into the forest by himself and beat this knight. All the glory would be his. see that the knight known for making brash, arrogant, and ill-advised decisions made a brash, arrogant, and ill-advised decision that he will almost immediately regret right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. So if you're like me, you like cooking and eating, but you don't like meal planning, or going to the grocery store, or figuring out how to choose ingredients, or portioning ingredients, or finding out at the last minute that the recipe you found online was written by someone who knows less about cooking than you do. So yeah, if you're like me, Blue Apron is perfect for you. They have pre-portioned fresh ingredients with a super easy to understand recipe with pictures. It's a great date night, but I've also made a few solo with a two-year-old running around the kitchen and still knocked it out in the time they said it would take. This month, they have meals like chicken tinga tacos, which is not only fun to say, but I imagine is delicious and a summer vegetable quinoa bowl. You can try three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com legends. 
You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash legends. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Lancelot was riding with all haste back to Camelot. He had received a message from Vivian, the Lady of the Lake, telling him he must return to Camelot on this date, or else something terrible would happen. He pushed his horse as hard as he could. It was spotted with white, and Lancelot's spurs were bloody. But still, he pressed on. He barreled around a corner and saw Camelot in front of him, rising above the forest. It had been a year since he had been knighted and left, and since then he had been playing the knight errant, going on adventures, righting wrongs, and gaining renown. He had stayed away from Camelot, partially because of the advice Vivian had given him, but mostly because of her. It wasn't honorable to be completely infatuated with your king's wife, to love her beyond all. The more he stayed away, the easier it would be to remain the good and pure knight. He didn't know why he needed to get back at this time, but the message from the Lady of the Lake was urgent. Though, as he got closer, he imagined the screaming just up ahead was a good indication that he was on the right track. He came to a fork in the road in the middle of the forest. One way led to Camelot and the other away from it. Down the path that led away, he heard a scream. When he looked, he saw the woman he loved, Queen Guinevere, being shoved violently on a horse by a large knight. A few squires were binding what looked like Kay and throwing him atop another horse before the trio began riding away from Camelot. Lancelot gritted his teeth and directed his horse down that path, but the thing wouldn't move. It had stopped, and it was so exhausted that no force in this world could make it take another step. Lancelot cried out in frustration, and just as he did, he saw another knight and his squire riding from Camelot. He recognized the knight in an instant. It was Gawain. He had another warhorse with him. Good. Lancelot leapt from his spent steed, and he rushed to Gawain, telling him that he needed the horse. They had taken the queen. They needed to go after her probably would have helped for Lancelot to take his helmet off, or even to say that he was a knight of King Arthur's court. But he didn't. Instead, he just kept insisting that Gawain give him a horse. And, if you're wondering, in the Middle Ages, horses were extremely expensive. It's like Lancelot is in one of those cop dramas, where he rushes up to someone in a Lexus and says, give me your Lexus. Because a well-armored warhorse was probably more comparatively expensive than a modern-day Lexus. Gawain could see this knight in white armor clearly wanted to rescue the queen. He didn't know who it was, but it couldn't hurt to have help. Looking down at the road Guinevere had been taken, he told Lancelot that he could have the horse, but Lancelot didn't hear him, because he was already galloping after them. He hadn't waited for permission. He was a knight of the queen, and the queen had been taken. He was going after her. Gawain swore and turned to his squire, telling him to go back to Camelot and get as many knights as he could muster. Queen Guinevere had been kidnapped, and he was going after her. With that, he spurred his own warhorse on, only minutes behind this strange white knight, to find his queen. When Lancelot, Gawain, and the squire departed, Lancelot's old horse collapsed there on the road, and died of exhaustion. As Gawain rode the expanse of Great Britain, 
He saw, at first, Lancelot as a speck on the horizon. Then, as Gawain eased up a bit so that his horse wouldn't die, Lancelot disappeared. Lancelot was pushing his horse, hard, again, after Guinevere. Days passed with Gawain riding as fast as he could without hurting his horse, until he found blood dotting the ground. Then, the body of his war horse that Lancelot had ridden to exhaustion. A mile or two down the road, Lancelot was jogging behind a cart, yelling at the driver, asking him if he had seen a knight riding by with a woman, who very much looked like she did not wish to accompany him. The driver was an evil dwarf, because of course he was, and he sneered. Yep, he had seen the queen in the night, and he knew exactly where they were going. Hop on, and the dwarf would take him there. Lancelot hesitated, riding in a cart, was bad. It was a symbol of shame. The cart was for criminals, people that had been convicted of theft, murder, or who had lost a trial by combat. They would be taken to the next town and shamed, maybe even tortured and executed. Lancelot wouldn't be, he was just hitching a ride, but the optics of it wouldn't look good. If he was seen riding the cart, everyone would assume he lost a fight, or was a murderer, or something terrible. Still, Lancelot's muscles burned, jogging along under the weight of the steel armor, mail, shield, and sword. If he didn't take the cart, he would be left alone on the road, and might never find Guinevere. He hesitated, and it took him two steps before jumping aboard the cart, next to the murderers and thieves. Gawain caught up with the cart, but since he still had his horse, he declined to enter. He talked with Lancelot, learned he was one of King Arthur's knights, but didn't learn his name because Lancelot didn't even know it yet. Gawain was content for them to both go after Guinevere together. Lancelot rode in the cart until reaching the next town, where crowds were gathered to see the criminals. Speculating aloud whether this fancy knight would be flayed, hanged, drowned, or burned upon a fire of thorns, which is so painful and creative that it just had to come from the Middle Ages. Unfortunately for the people looking for some family-friendly medieval entertainment, this white knight would not be fantastically tortured. Lancelot jumped off the cart, and he and Gawain entered the castle. They found two maidens, who were happy to entertain the illustrious Sir Gawain, and not so happy to entertain the scum who rode in the cart. The knights tried to convince the women that Lancelot was an honorable knight, and they were successful insofar that the knights were allowed to stay the night, and continue their journey the next morning. So, I have to say that last week's story came from the French Vulgate, and this one comes from Cratian de Troyes, the same writer who brought us the oh-so-logical Yvain story, the first one ever on this podcast. Cratian de Troyes takes the story no less seriously than the writer of the French Vulgate, but the story gets away from him a bit. A lot of less-than-logical things happen. For instance, the women led Gawain and Lancelot to a room and showed them three beds. Two are normal, medieval beds, but the third offered every perfection one could ever wish for in a bed. And I'm quoting the text. These were the Middle Ages, so that probably just means that it's softer than normal hay and has fewer fleas. The women told the knights that they can't sleep in that really cool bed. In fact, bad stuff will happen to Lancelot for just thinking about sleeping in the really cool bed because he was a filthy, dirty, cart-riding knight. Gawain accepted this and slept in another bed, but Lancelot decided to tempt fate and sleep there anyway, because, hey, perfect bed. That night, a lance flew from the darkness at Lancelot as he was sleeping, and scratched Lancelot's shoulder. Of course, it was a flaming lance, and set a patch of the now formerly perfect bed on fire. 
Lancelot rolled over, grabbed the lance, and threw it back. He heard it clang on the floor across the room. Figuring that, sure, it's safe to sleep despite him just putting out the fire on his bed, where someone was flinging weapons at him from the darkness. He went back to sleep. This particular story was not addressed. The next morning, Lancelot rose early and went to the window. Feeling the cool stone of the castle, he looked out over the rolling hills of Britain. He knew that she was out there, somewhere. He knew it was wrong to love her, that she was the wife of the king and they could never be together, but he knew that he had to see her again. He couldn't get her face out of his mind. Then, he realized that he couldn't get her face out of his mind because he was looking right at her face. There, less than 200 feet away, was Queen Guinevere, riding her own horse, which was yoked to the horse of the largest knight Lancelot had ever seen. The one, he learned from Gawain, who had kidnapped her. The pair was riding at the head of a funeral procession. And I have no idea whose funeral, it's not addressed in the text, but Lancelot's jaw dropped. And then he scrambled inside to Gawain, who saw it too. They could rescue her, right now. They rushed outside, but the procession was so thick that they couldn't get to the pair before they were out of town. So Lancelot and Gawain rushed inside to get their things. It took a little longer than they thought, though. The ladies, who had scorned the dirty, terrible, cart-riding knight the night before, now esteemed him for his bravery when facing a flaming lance, which they knew absolutely nothing about. Don't worry about it. Want a free horse? When he was outfitted with an armored horse, Lancelot rode alongside Gawain. When they reached the funeral outside of town, they learned that the knight had absconded, once again, with Guinevere. Thinking that they couldn't be that far ahead, Gawain and Lancelot spurred their horses into the forest. As it turned out, Guinevere and the evil knight were that far ahead. Gawain and Lancelot rode nearly all day, as fast as they could, without a sign of their queen. Of course, as night fell, they saw an ominous-looking young woman standing in the middle of the road. They stopped and they greeted her, asking if she had seen anyone pass by. She said that she did, but she too asked for a promise from them for the information, without quite stipulating what that promise would be. They both agreed to do whatever she wished without hesitation, if only she had the smallest bit of info about Guinevere. She told them, to find the queen, they would have to enter to a strange land and undergo great tribulations and suffer greatly. They said, okay, that's not surprising, we're questing, that's kind of the thing. Who do we need to fight? The girl said, oh, yeah, okay. The knight that took Queen Guinevere is named Malagant, the son of the King of Gore. The king's name is Batamagu, and he lives in a kingdom from which no foreigner ever returns. There are two ways in, the first of which was the underwater bridge, which is exactly what it sounds like, and I don't think it's technically a bridge if it's underwater. But anyway, the second is called the Sword Bridge, and no detail is given as to what it was, even though you can probably guess pretty easily what it was, only that they should not take the Sword Bridge. Even though it's faster, it's super dangerous. I mean, it's called the Sword Bridge. Lancelot said that he would take the Sword Bridge. It's faster, so it would get him to Guinevere faster. Despite them really not needing to part to take separate paths on this already dangerous quest, they parted. Gawain said goodbye to Lancelot and said that he would see Lancelot on the other side. With that, they rode down separate paths on the Forking Road with the ominous child yelling that they owed her a favor. Guys? We're going to fast forward a bit here. 
Lancelot's journey to the Sword Bridge continued. He faced multiple angry knights guarding fords and other things along the way, and Lancelot rescued slash escorted a few different women, one of which, for Lancelot to stay in her empty keep that night, demanded that Lancelot sleep with her. He, being in love with Guinevere and not wanting to strike something up with a woman who might fall so deeply in love with him that she never leaves his side, his words, obeyed the letter of the agreement, but not really the spirit, by actually sleeping next to her and nothing else, much to her obvious frustration. Later on, a guy that she did not want to marry, but who really wished to marry her without her enthusiasm or consent, tried to abduct her, but Lancelot scared him off, leading to the night and his dad following Lancelot to see how tough he was, and if they could fight him, and very honorably force this girl into marriage. In something that's almost stalker-level weirdness, Lancelot found a magnificent comb with some hair stuck in it, as it turned out, this comb belonged to Guinevere. Lancelot gave the ivory comb to the woman, but kept the hair, which he rubbed on his face and smelled way, way too much. Really, once is kind of too much. Anyway, as Lancelot traveled the land, he learned that it wasn't just a handful of captives that had been taken to the kingdom of Gore, but hundreds, and that it was well known as a magical and confusing place where, once a foreigner entered, they could never leave. It's supposedly on the island of Great Britain, but we aren't really told where this legendary kingdom resides. Then, something happened that I should make a bigger deal of, but I won't because it's odd and kind of a non-sequitur. Lancelot learned his name, his lineage, and the fact that he will be the one to deliver this land. He stopped off to ask directions from a hermit monk living in a chapel in the middle of nowhere, and the monk took the white knight down to the catacombs, and showed him the not-at-all-ominous future graves of his friends, like Gawain, Yvain, and others. Then, he showed Lancelot the tomb of the one who would free this land. Except that it was covered by a boulder. It had been here as long as the monk could remember. And the prophecy said that whoever could lift it would be the one to lie in the tomb. And he would see his name engraved on the stone, and he would also deliver the captives in the land. The white knight, Lancelot, said, Oh, the stone, and lifted the boulder with one hand. Almost as surprised as the monk, Lancelot saw in an instant that his name was Lancelot of the Lake, and that his original name had been Galahad, and that his father and mother had been King Ban and Queen Elaine of Benwick in modern-day France, the ones that had been deposed years ago by King Claudus. Lancelot learned his name and the names of his parents in an instant, and then slammed the stone back down before he thought the very curious monk could see. Shaking with excitement, the monk told Lancelot that you, you're him. You're the one who will deliver the captives from this land. But Lancelot didn't say one more word and rushed out to where his companion was waiting. The woman left him shortly after. She figured it was safe to go. When she saw that the father and son knights had stopped following them, when they heard from the monk that he had lifted the boulder, they deemed that Lancelot was not someone to mess with and went home. The woman went back to her keep, and probably continued to play the role of sleazy innkeeper. Back at Camelot, Arthur smiled when he saw his wizard advisor, Merlin, enter the throne room. Arthur was worried about his wife, but he was happy to see Merlin. He thought that the world was a better place with Merlin in it. 
Merlin's power, the things he knew and the future he could see, comforted Arthur. Sure, he sometimes asked terrible things of the king, but only when they were necessary. Arthur knew that as long as Merlin was in his kingdom, things could never get too bad. I'm going, Merlin said to him. That in itself wasn't news. Merlin came and went throughout Arthur's rule, sometimes just for days, but others weeks and one time a year. But the look in his eyes, Arthur could see that this time was different. And Arthur said, and this time I will not be coming back. Arthur shook his head. He didn't understand. Merlin had been with him his entire life. The wizard had even aided in his conception, but not in that way. Arthur felt tears welling in his eyes. There were a few moments in his life where he could feel the significance weighing on him. There was the time he drew the sword from the stone. The time when he accidentally committed incest and conceived Mordred. The time when he first sat at the round table. When he defeated the Western Roman Emperor who absolutely existed. And now this. Arthur had been king for what was going on two decades. But Merlin had been advising kings for nearly three times that long. The British Isles looked the way they did, and Arthur had a kingdom because of Merlin. And now Merlin was going away? What would Arthur do now? I've always seen Merlin as more of a tough love type of wizard, like Gandalf to Arthur's mischievous hobbit. Maybe he thought that Arthur was a mostly honorable and strong king, and that he had the strength to face what would happen. Maybe he knew that Arthur couldn't learn any more from Merlin, and that the destruction that was coming his way would happen regardless of the wizard's intervention or planning. Maybe Merlin loved Arthur like a son, and it was too difficult to say anything of substance. Yes, Merlin said. This is the last time. Farewell. I commend you to God. With that, Merlin left Arthur's presence and Camelot for the last time. He didn't immediately go to Brittany, he still had a few days before the year was up, and he had one last person to say goodbye to. Throughout his many years on Earth, Merlin returned from time to time to Blaze. Way back in episode 6b, Blaze was the name of the priest who baptized Merlin when he was born, saving him from turning completely into a demon. Blaze raised him for God, and he was like a father to Merlin, protecting Merlin and his mother from the not-so-progressive crowds who would have burned Merlin's mother for the slight spiritual infraction of having a child out of wedlock with a demon. Merlin stopped by every so often and talked candidly with his old mentor, who had to be pushing 90 at this point. Merlin told his old mentor where he was going and what he was doing, how, for love, he was leaving Britain and all of his power and influence behind. He was going to go see about a girl. Blaze told Merlin not to go, that he could do so much more for God here. But Merlin wouldn't hear it. He had already devoted so much of his life to others. Now, he was going to follow his heart. Because at 60, he might not get another chance. Blaze took down the details of Merlin's life one last time, and the wizard hugged the old monk, who had saved his life and been like a father to him. And he left. The sun setting on his right, Merlin could see the cliffs overlooking the channel now. He could smell the sea air, hear the gulls. He felt 20 years younger, leaving the burdens of Britain behind him. He breathed deeply, somewhere beyond the waters. Vivian would be waiting for him. Tomorrow, he would meet her by the Broseliad Forest and begin his new life. Music 
Lancelot traveled throughout the land, his new name turning over in his mind. He liked it, and he wondered if Vivian had known the whole time. He fought more knights in battles, and things got more and more dangerous the closer he got to Gore. When he entered the land, he inadvertently freed many of the prisoners by taking out a whole garrison of people trying to stop him from getting to Guinevere. The woman he loved in front of him, and the din of battle from the freed captives behind him, he was an unstoppable force. Then he saw the bridge. The castle stood before him on an island rising from the sea. Lancelot looked out from the jagged cliff that, other than the 50-foot chasm, was completely level with the island. The sea around the cliffs at the base was choppy and dangerous. Lancelot could see the archers stationed all along the cliffs. To approach in a boat would mean instant death. He knew that this was the castle of King Bagmagu. This was where they were holding Guinevere. And there were only two ways. The still inaccurately named underwater bridge and the sore bridge right before him. Spanning the 50-foot gap was a single sword with the hilt on Lancelot's side and the point on the side of the castle. Lancelot's heart beat quickly. He knew what he must do. He had to cross the sword bridge. The waves roared below and Lancelot took off one of his gauntlets and felt the sword. It was a little slick, but it looked well-made. He looked at the massive towers and down at the sword bridge. It was the width of a normal sword, but 50 feet long and laid flat across the chasm. Crossing it would be like going across one very dangerous balance beam. He took a deep breath. He knew that if he ever wanted to see Guinevere again and be able to return to Camelot with honor, he would need to cross the sword bridge. Lancelot took off his sabatons, the armor covering the foot, his boots, his other gauntlet, and his gloves so it was just his bare feet and his bare hands. He left them on the ground. If he was going to make it, he needed to be able to feel his way across. If he cut his hands and feet, he would probably survive. If he slipped and fell because of his bulky armor, though, he looked down at the jagged rocks jutting from the sea. Well, if he slipped, that would be it. He put one foot on the sword. It was cold and slick, but he thought he had a grip on it. He put another foot out. And then he heard them. On the other side of the sword, chained and hungry, were two lions. Both within a claw swipe of a person, if that person made it across. They were snarling, their mouths were dripping with saliva, and they were watching Lancelot waver on the flat edge of the sword. Lancelot was balanced on the cold sword, barefoot, with the wind whipping him. He gulped and took another step toward the castle. The wind pushed him violently. Lancelot struggled to maintain his balance. He put one bare foot in front of the other, feeling gingerly for each step. Just barely over the sound of the freezing water hitting the rocks below, he heard a gasp from the tower above him. His eyes went to the source of the sound, and he saw her. She was alive. She was here. It was Guinevere. She was standing with some older man, watching him. Even from this distance, he could see the fear in her eyes. She was scared for him. She cared for him. He clenched his jaw. He could do this. Except that while he was focused on her, he wasn't focused on his footing or bouncing against the wind. A strong gust came by and pushed Lancelot out into the chasm between the cliffs. 
he lunged with his right hand at the last moment and caught the sword. But he caught the sword, and it sliced into his hand. He hung there, on the edge of the sword bridge only halfway across, with the sharp rocks below and the lions on the other side if he did make it. The sword was cutting into his hand, but he had to grip the edge with all that he could. And as Lancelot was rocked back and forth by the wind, with blood streaming down his arm, his hand was starting to slip. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week, with a literal cliffhanger ending. Next week, we'll finish this first story of Lancelot and see how everything ends up between Merlin and Vivian. I want to say thanks to Lewis Brett, Nutkin MB, Blackster BMW, Caddy S76, Pentastic, Ryo622, Anglophile79, Zach Arori, Pitmick32, Alan Compton, Emily, Arjun and Chiswick, Mordecai001, John R., Guy with a Passport, Spaffy Cakes, Daydream Fairy, Colorful Misfit, Zevi1975, Magyar Birdie, Teresa and Kyle, Nick J. Coke, Nick Willity, and London Bus Listener 75 for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you all so much. I love the feedback and I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review, iTunes is the best place. I read every one of them and do take the feedback to heart. You can find it on iTunes or the podcast app at itunes.mythpodcast.com. Also, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of an iPhone case with a fake piece of fried chicken attached to it, you can get extra episodes, ad-free versions of this exact show, and source pack ebooks that won't make people think you always have an extra crispy piece of chicken on hand. Really, I don't get this one. People say that it makes a great phone stand or handle, but why not just get a phone stand or handle and not an extra greasy looking one? Maybe I'm getting old, but if you get this, please tell me what's going on. Oh, and check out support.mythpodcast.com if you're interested in the membership. The creature this week is the Corrigan. They are from an island in the British Sea. They are creatures that are no more than two feet tall, but are strikingly beautiful and have really great hair that they wrap around their bodies for some reason. They sometimes have wasp-like wings and they wear a veil. They're usually seen at night where they are supposedly super beautiful and normal-ish, as far as a two-foot-tall fairy with wasp wings can be normal. During the day, their hair turns white, eyes red, and their faces become deeply wrinkled. So like anyone, if they stay up all night, like many other creatures, they take children in the night, but they don't leave changelings. They're kind of nice though, because they only take children that they think need to be protected. If you don't want them to take your child, all you need to do is either not put your child in danger or wrap a rosary around your infant's neck before bed. If this seems a bit contradictory to you, it definitely feels that way to me too, because wrapping something around your infant's neck before bed is the very definition of putting them in danger. We've all talked about this. Please, please do not do this. In addition to their scary faces, the Corrigan has terrible breath, and it can kill you. Also, they can shapeshift, predict the future, travel with the speed of thought, so basically teleport, and can cure most illnesses. If you find yourself in the presence of these very much overpowered creatures, you have some options. They were princesses that refused to convert to Christianity when the apostles came around to convert people, so they were transformed into these creatures. So all you need is a priest, a cross, or a calendar. They can't even name all the days of the week, because the week contains the day Sunday, which is holy. 
So if you show them a calendar, that might repel them. My wife still carries a paper planner, so I suppose she's always safe against the Corrigan. I, for one, am hoping I can just be lazy and just flash the one on my iPhone. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to the other music I used are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>